Christians know the future, but what are we doing with that knowledge? Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Human beings are stuck in the present. We can't go back in time. We can only go forward one moment after another. Whatever happens tomorrow or next year will be a surprise. The ignorance of our species causes some to party hardy, while others live in fear trying to prepare for the worst. But Christians know the future, the broad outline anyway, and our response should be different. Here's Jim. In Titus chapter 2, we who are grace brethren are told something about the grace that gives us our name. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, we read, For the grace of God, there it is, Titus 2, 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And that grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people who are zealous for good works. Now, Timothy, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise you. Our Heavenly Father, grace not only saves us, but grace informs us and grace transforms us. And this morning, as we let grace teach us about the future, about looking for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May our hearts open to receive your instruction. Would you give us clear and concise understanding of the roadmap that reaches out there in the future, not the one in the Middle East intended to bring political peace, but that roadmap that reaches out into the eternities ahead and describes for us God's plan for our future. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, Father, and may they be full of exhortation and truth. And would you touch our ears that we might hear Thank you for the opportunity in this congregation to have such an enormous participation in what the church becomes. We are brothers and sisters. No one is to lord it over us. No outside group sitting in some council dictates your will for us as your people here. And while we embrace that freedom and rejoice in that opportunity, may we also understand that it brings enormous responsibility to each of us. 
to be prayerfully participating in the work of the ministry. Thank you for those who do work in the nursery and the toddler areas, and thank you for this delightful reminder that their task is often thankless and sometimes not appreciated. And thank you for those who serve the coffee and those who usher, and those who teach and those who greet and those who open their homes and list goes on and on and on. Lord, make us a purified people, unique to you, fitted, cleansed, used for your glory in this present age, and then a source of great delight to you as we love and worship you in the age that is to come. Receive our gifts. Lord, how wonderfully this congregation has given deep pockets. Indeed, sacrificial giving. And uh, I ask that each this morning would sincerely from the heart worship you with the gift. And would you, Father, take these gifts and make them sufficient for all that you desire for us to do. In Jesus' name we give. Amen. When our president speaks of the axis of evil, he brings into the political arena a very religious subject. And when he talks about the war on terrorism, he is using political language to describe what is indeed a religious war. The peoples of the earth are locked in deadly combat, and there will be no truce. One will win, all others will lose. And that combat falls along religious lines. Islam has a vision and plan for the future of the world. And those we call radical fundamentalists, which includes the suicide bombers, are deeply religious people doing what their religious tenets instruct them to do. The clash between the systems of our world economically and politically are mere outward shadows of a far deeper religious question. What is the future of the world? And how will that future be shaped? And who will control the destiny? We who are fundamental, evangelical, Bible-believing Christians have a huge advantage in that discussion. We have been given by God a very unique book, the only book in the whole world that successfully describes the future 
as accurately as it records the past. The only book that assures us that an outside the human race supernatural agent is actually in charge of the earth, has an agenda for its affairs, values it, and has put in motion a program which is ultimately going to win. Only fundamental evangelical Christianity stands by that claim. And the more seriously you take the study of this book, the more clearly you can see the future. It does not take much Bible knowledge to quickly understand that the Christian is looking to the future. Not the present, the future. And that the Christian, based upon the information of the Bible, has large reason with confidence to embrace the future and invest in the future. To the point where we are admonished and instructed to surrender pleasure, profit, and gratification in this present moment for that which is eternal and permanent in the future. The message of the gospel that God saves us out of his grace and mercy doesn't stop there. The message of the gospel is not only good news for individual sinners, it is good news for a weary, tired, worn out, oppressed world people. God has a plan. And we are told over and again in the epistles and in the gospels that we are to lift up our eyes and look beyond this moment into the future. I was astonished the last 10 days preparing for this message, astonished again at how much focus the Bible puts on this. That the people of God, the people who know God, the people who love God are futuristic. We, we quickly confess that what you see now is not what you get. You're not seeing Jim Custer in his full and final and perfect form. That's still future. And when you look in the mirror, you're not seeing what God is finished with. You're simply seeing yourself at this present moment in his grace. And that mirror cannot tell you what you will look like when you're finished. Our future is our hope. We are not looking in the rearview mirror at a great historic past. We as Christians are called to look out the windshield into the future. And as described by the pattern of God's word, we are to shape our lives in expectation of future events that are promised and prophesied in this book. For our purposes this morning, I want to limit my comments to three, just three main points. Look with me again, please, at this marvelous text in Titus that says that this, this teaching does not arise from the wrath of God or the vengeance of God, but rather the same grace of God which brings salvation to us also informs us and focuses us into the future. Look at it. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age. That means you are to be out of step 
I am to be out of step with the culture. That's what that says. I am not to march to the drumbeat. I am not to allow those emphasis and those pressures around me to dictate my morals, my morality, or my conduct. I am to march in this present age to a different drum beat. And not only am I to take my cues from a different, unworldly drum beat, but I am to focus my attention forward. Look at it. While in this present age I am to live soberly, righteously, and godly, I am to be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's the same Jesus Christ who gave himself for us on the cross and who rose in resurrection power to redeem us from our sins and to purify us by his Spirit that we might be a people uniquely equipped to please God. The phrase that catches our attention this morning is verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. My beloved friends, the 39 books of the Old Testament merge with one message. Jesus is coming. The four Gospels resonate with one message. Jesus has come. Acts and all the epistles resonate with the message, Jesus is coming again. And the book of the Revelation Jesus has come again. The whole message of the 66 books of this wonderful Bible focus our attention forward to the intervention of God, the supernatural, spectacular, dramatic intervention of God in human history. There are three such major moves that God makes clear in his word. And these are to be the focus. These are to be the tug. These are to be the magnetic pull, the, the tug that draw my attention, my energies, my focus, my hope. These are the things that ought to motivate Jim Custer every waking moment. There is the appearance, according to the text, the appearance, the glorious appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ that the Bible calls the rapture. If you're making notes, write that down, rapture. It is most dramatically described in the book of Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, This we say unto you by the word of the Lord. This was not Paul's dream. This was not the, 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 the dream of Isaiah. This was not the revelation of Daniel. Something that those older prophets could never imagine. Jesus the Lord revealed to Paul. 
And here's what it is. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that, that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout of words, the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. That will take place so quickly that 1 Corinthians 15 says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It has often been called a secret coming, sometimes even in scorn. But it is secret only to those who do not know Jesus Christ. All who know Jesus Christ will be dramatically involved in that great snatch. And we will go from earth to heaven instantly. Three things to remember about that. Number one. You will receive a new body. Number two, you will stand before what's called the judgment seat of Christ and your behavior, your works as a believer will be evaluated and you will either receive or you will lose rewards that God loves to give those who follow him. Number three, you will be transported from earth to heaven and all the citizens of heaven will immediately become your forever group. You're going to see Pastor Dick. You're going to know him. You're going to see my mother, my grandfather. You're going to see your uncle, your aunt. Those who've gone on before are waiting and we are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's the first part of God's future. It is going to traumatize the citizens left on the earth. And the systems of government and the spiritual forces that are arrayed behind those human governments, demons, principalities and powers, are going to have a heyday. Satan will at last have his moment in the spotlight. The second great coming of Jesus Christ is described in Revelation chapter 19. And there the Lord Jesus Christ descends from heaven riding upon a horse, a white horse. His clothes bloody. He descends from heaven engages all the armies of the world, destroys them, establishes his kingdom, his capital in Jerusalem, summons all living people on the earth at that time to Jerusalem for a judgment. Three things you want to remember about that event. Number one, there will be no grace in that judgment. In one hour, one day, every living mortal upon the whole face of the earth will be evaluated as to righteous, unrighteous, saved, lost, 
and instantly removed from the earth if they are unrighteous. Number two, you'll want to remember that when Jesus comes back at that time, he will establish his kingdom on this earth, and no one will ever again sneer and say, Jesus, everyone will see him come, and everyone will have a personal, responsible impact upon their lives. Everyone, no one will be excluded from that judgment. But he will establish his, his kingdom upon this earth, and for 1,000 years he will rule the world, and righteousness will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Satan will be bound in the bondless pit. He won't be free. The minions of darkness will be bound. They will not be able to tempt men. Thirdly, the curse that causes the rule of claw and fang will be removed. The deserts will blossom. The animals that are now ferocious and deadly will be docile and domestic. There will be no sickness, there will be no pain, there will be no injustice for 1,000 years upon the earth. God will immediately, immediately rule the earth through his representative for 1,000 years. Got that? Number three. The third great movement of God is when Jesus Christ appears in the midst of what has been called in Scripture the New Jerusalem. You can read about it in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. And many times the prophets in looking forward could not discern whether the blessed conditions they were describing were going to take place on the earth during that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ or whether what God was telling them was foretelling experiences in the time when the new Jerusalem would descend from heaven. An old objection to the gospel of grace is that it causes people to live carelessly. If we know that Jesus is picking up the tab, we'll have one of everything on the menu. But real grace, as Paul outlined it to Titus, teaches us. It teaches the practical lesson to live like redeemed people who eagerly await our master's return. Jim's sermon is, The People of God Are Futuristic. If you'd like to have the message on CD, we'll send it to you for a gift of $7 or more. Our series entitled, The People of God, includes 17 sermons. All of those can be yours in a CD album for an offering of $59 or more. Right Start is committed to diffusing the sweet aroma of the knowledge of God in every place we can, helping the curious to get to know Him and believers to know Him better. You can be part of that ambitious project. Your prayers and gifts allow us to get the word out to many thousands of people. To help, mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Or call 1-800-984-2313. 
That's 800-984-2313. And find us on the internet at rightstartradio.org. There you can listen to today's broadcast again or go back and hear past shows. You can play or download complete sermons as Jim preached them. And if you'd enjoy the convenience of getting the podcast every day through iTunes, we'll show you how to subscribe. And you can contribute, too, at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. God is making all things new, and we're learning about the phases of that new creation. Part two of this sermon is coming tomorrow. Please join us again for Friday's Right Start. (music) 